Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM at Chapel FM. We're actually live in Studio One this afternoon, which is very exciting. The sun's pouring through the stained glass window. Elliot's here on the desk. It's like the good old days. In the uh, in the studio, we've got some lovely guests who are going to be talking about a fascinating new book of poetry and photographs. In the second half of Love the Words, we have an interview with Pamela Crow about 23 Press, which is a new project funded by Leeds 2023. So plenty to look forward to. I'm going to hand over to the poet Lydia Kenaway, who's going to be introducing our guests. Thanks, Peter. It's great pleasure to be here. I have Emma Storr and Bob Hamilton with me, and they have collaborated on a beautiful book, which I have in front of me. It's called Off Comden's. In it, Yorkshire is depicted in Bob's photos and on facing pages, Emma's poems responding to these images. There are 41 of these pairings, and it is a thing of beauty. Bob Hamilton is a Londoner who moved to Ilkley in 1988. He's a former software developer and the author of a non-fiction book called Earth Dream, a work of eco-philosophy. Now he writes what he calls quirky fiction and pursues photography projects, such as taking a photo of a new person every day. Emma Storr trained as a doctor and has an MPhil in writing from the University of South Wales. Also from London, she came to Leeds in 1993. Her poems have featured in several anthologies and poetry magazines, as well as winning local poetry prizes. Her debut pamphlet, Heart Murmur, published by Calder Valley Poetry in 2019, has a medical theme based on her work as a GP. Not everyone is acquainted with the word offcumdens. Emma, can you tell us something about it? Yes, it's a Yorkshire term meaning somebody not born in the county. So I think that includes, well, a lot of us in the studio. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Certainly the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting how this sense of, of belonging is kind of an experiment in concentric circles. You know, you, you start off by perhaps defining yourself by nationality and then it goes down to county. And then I'm sure within the county, you then define yourself by dale and then village and you get on to the, you know, funny folk over there. <laughs> um, what has it been like to be, do you consider yourself a Yorkshire person now? Yes, I do, because I think it's my home and I feel very much I belong here. But I'm also aware that I didn't originate here. After all, I lived the first 40 years of my life in London. Mm -hmm. So I'll always be a Londoner. But, you yes. know, Yorkshire is home and it's where I identify with now. And probably for both of you, like me, the minute I open my mouth, people say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> True. <laughs> um because we're dealing with images as well as words today, I'd like to do a little experiment in audio description. So I've asked Emma and Bob to each write a short description of the first photo in the book without consulting each other. And I've done the same thing. So 
let's hear those now. Uh, Emma, what is your description of this first photo we're looking at? Um, my description is the foreground is a tussocky slope, uneven and steep. The view is across a counterpane of fields. They are different geometric shapes intersected by dry stone walls crisscrossing the landscape. A few sheep and two hay barns cast long shadows in the late afternoon. In the distance, the flat-topped summit of Ingleborough is silhouetted against dark clouds. There are no people. Thank you. And Bob, what's your take on this? Okay, first of all, Emma, clearly Emma's a poet. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I hadn't heard that before. This is interesting. Okay, for me, um, a view westwards from a fell pass, looking over the head of one valley and down the line of another as it disappears into high moorland, distant Ingleborough behind. In between is crisscrossed with dry stone walls, each caught in the deep shadow of a low sun, setting to the top left in the late afternoon of winter. The patchwork of pastures shine brightly, punctuated by long shadows cast by stone barns and grazing animals. And mine, a square black and white image from a viewpoint so elevated it feels aerial, grass in the foreground, far below, Fields rise from a steep valley to the left. A setting or rising sun casts long shadows from stone walls running in strong diagonals. Sheep, cows, one or two farm buildings. Moorland in the middle distance. On the horizon, the silhouette of a famous peak. Banks of clouds, silvery in the dark sky. Well, wasn't that interesting? It was. <laughs> Very so we have crisscrossing and silhouettes and long shadows. Um, yeah, I, th I think that what it has in common is interesting, but, but especially what it doesn't have in common. Um, and I think that kind of points us to the way we read poems as well, you know, that the three of us can read the same poem and come away with a very different idea of what, what it's about. Um, I like that exercise because it made me look at Bob's photo much more closely. And of course, I've seen it a lot, but, you know, it really made me study it. And I thought that was so interesting. It made, it made me look at it more closely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, forensically, you know, trying, trying to you know, really audio describe and not insert yourself between, you know, the image and, and the listener. Um, now let's hear the poem that's associated with this image. So the poem is called Off Comden, and I perhaps should explain that although I'm a Londoner, my surname is Store, which is of Scandinavian origin, and when I grew up in London, there weren't many stores in London, but there are lots in Yorkshire um, and Lincolnshire where the Vikings settled, so I was rather delighted to find when I went to Whitby lots of stores buried in um, the churchyard there. I didn't know I'd fall in love with bleak, the swerve of dry stone walls around the hills, the fissured scars of rock above the fields. I'd never found an ammonite before one nudged its corrugations out of mud and curled its spiral shell in my palm. I'd never heard of words like wapentake, or village names that twisted lips and tongue, 
Jochenthwaite and Muka, Thorpe and Keld. I didn't know I'd leave the swarming south for winter dark and outstretched summer days to trace my Viking name on Whitby graves. Beautiful. Thank you. I think uh, it's a wonderful first line, not only for a poem, but for a book. I didn't know I'd fall in love with bleak. And I think anyone who knows Yorkshire knows what that means and, and just how stunning that bleakness can be. Um, a word on the on the photos, actually, while we're talking about uh, you know images of Yorkshire, I, I just want to make it very clear that we're not talking about uh, tea boxes, chocolate boxes, um, what else? Calendars. These are not your you know stock images of the beauty spots of Yorkshire, and as beautiful as they are, um, it is really wonderful to have this kind of take that that's really different and and very personal. Um, Bob, in your introduction to the book, you say a color image is a representation. A black and white image is more akin to a poem. Now, to me, a black and white image has a kind of brass rubbing effect. It seems to reveal more of what's beneath the surface than color does. Have you always used black and white, or is it dependent on, you know, do, do different subject matters ask for different approaches? I think so. I mean, black and white for me is relatively recent discovery. Um, I mean, I've always taken photographs, but it's never occurred to me before to actually process them, uh, as you can do now in what we call the digital darkroom. And I discovered black and white and realised that it had this power that a colour image doesn't have. And I, I, I couldn't explain it then, and I still can't really explain it totally now. But it is to do with seeing beyond the surface of things, and it brings out pattern, it brings out texture, um, and it speaks to the unconscious rather than the conscious experience of that photograph. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yes. And, and that's what's so evident in these photographs. Mm. The, the textures are astonishing. Um, that's, I, I think it's... Yeah, quite mind-boggling. Well, sometimes it's astonishing for me too that I can take a colour image mm -hmm. and I can process it in black and white and be surprised at what I see Yeah, because it's brought something out that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Emma, in, you've said that your poetry is still evolving. Um, that, and I quote from the preface of the book, it's an exciting and unpredictable process, often surprising me in much the same way that Bob describes when looking at his photographs. I totally relate to that feeling of, a, you know, did I say that? Where did that come from? <laughs> um, and again, it feels like it's letting something manifest itself on the paper that, that was always there waiting, waiting mm -hmm. to come out. Um, Let's talk about the relationship between the photographs and the poems. Um, so the, the poems are anything but depictions of, of the images. I mean, if you wanted that, what would you... You would have a very long caption in a funny layout, you know, and that, <laughs> that is not a poem. <laughs> that is not what you've done. Um, the poet Jory Graham wrote... And this is talking about ekphrastic poetry, which is any poetry that comes from a visual image, mm -hmm. um, or I think an oral image. I think music is also. Um, poet 
the Tory, Tory Graham wrote, I don't use the paintings as much as spring off the scene with them. So how do you go about springing off the scene with these images? Oh, I wish I knew. Um, I mean, I think when we were thinking about doing this, oh, I asked Bob if I could um, try and write some poems, it, you know, inspired by the photographs. Not all the photographs inspired me, so I had to choose the ones that particularly spoke to me and sort of sparked my imagination. But I do like experimenting with lots of different forms of poetry, and so that was very good because Bob's photos are so varied, and as you say, they're not sort of chocolate box imagery at all. They're sometimes quite surprising, and I found that very exciting. So I guess I would start by just writing what I thought this sort of spoke to me, well, mm -hmm. how the photo spoke to me. But very often it would change, and I would show it to Bob too, and he'd say, well, I'm not sure that bit quite works. And I really valued that feedback. I needed that feedback. So, and obviously it went round to other people too mm -hmm. quite often. But I, I can't tell you exactly the process of what, why one picture is written in a particular form. Mm -hmm. But usually I did choose the image, but not always. Sometimes it worked the other way around. It sounds like a, a true collaboration. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to move on to the poem called West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum. And Bob, would you take a look at the image and give us a, a very brief um, description of what you're seeing well, this is this is a view of the complex um, from up near the Shevin, um, and I, I could talk about how hard it was to find a photograph to accompany this poem because I, I loved the poem um, and really wanted to find a suitable photograph, but it was incredibly hard. Amber and I had a tour around what is now a, a, a fairly upmarket housing um, development, and there was nothing that really spoke to us. Um, and I tried to get pictures of it from various angles, but there's always contemporary architecture in the way. Um, and I was cycling back home one evening, swooping down this hill fairly fast, and then in between a gap in the hedgerows, I caught this view of it. Uh, put on the brakes, went back a little bit, narrow road, had to sort of clamber into the brambles almost to get a clear shot. The sun came out at that perfect moment, and this was oh. the shot we've got. So it's a pastoral scene mm. where all you can see is what was the lunatic asylum. Um, and I think it's the only point at which you can take such a shot. Wow. And normally I've, I've sped past it at 25 yeah. miles an hour without yeah. seeing it. But because I was looking out, mm -hmm. I just saw it. Mm -hmm. And that's how the picture came to be. Fantastic. And I knew it was the right one right away. And I was so excited when I got home and oh. processed it. Well, it's a great photo. Mm -hmm. Emma, can we hear the poem? Sure. So as, as Bob mm -hmm. says, we wandered in the grounds of what was Hyroids, hospital but originally called the West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum and I suppose I was interested in that word asylum because we think often of big mental institutions being places where people were incarcerated and often abused and not treated well but actually asylum means a place of safety and I wanted to explore that and I did some research on the hospital um, as it had been. And at one time, it was a sort of thriving community with its own shops and railway and orchestra and ballroom and entertainment and pretty self-sufficient and these beautiful grounds. 
So this is my poem. Oh, and also the wards usually had a canary um, living on the ward. Each ward had a cage with a canary in, which also intrigued me. And was that, that just... As a pet, I mean, it yes, as a pet, <laughs> as like a, a miner's. And I think it, it was. <laughs> I think it was quite common then that um, institutions had canaries. How interesting! West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum. Is this home? I forget. Stains on green and brown walls are clouds above my bed. I watch the ward canary fly from its cage towards the light. Sometimes it grips its perch, stays within the bars. Sometimes I prefer the dim inside, the dull calm. They say it might be good for us to have fresh air, to weed and rake the flower beds and walk the grounds as if we're free. Marshall tried to hang himself the gaslight bracket broke. Lavatory chains can't be looped into a noose or not. We are watched over, overseen. Did I mention the orchestra? Music made from lunatic strings, brass and drums. We beat the wildest rhythms, dance our madness in and out with stamping feet and whirl the staff about until they beg to be released from jigs and reels. I think that this is home, a garden for nesting birds, the greenest grass, the smiling face of a clock. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm speechless. <laughs> it, is, it is a beautiful poem. Um, I think for me, there, there's one, if you see it on the page, there's, there's one couplet just two little lines, we are watched over, overseen. And that encapsulates so much. I think the, the first half of it, watched over, it's, it has a benign effect. You're thinking of, you know, the, the shepherds watching over their flocks mm. by night. Mm. Um, then that single word, overseen, is so freighted with meaning, uh, multiple meanings. Mm. The overseer is in charge. And to be overseen is to be ignored. And an oversight is a careless mm. mistake. And, and how you can... I mean, this, this is what poetry does when it's doing what it does best. In, in just a few words, opens up all sorts of possibilities. And I think you've just done that beautifully with this poem. Thank you. Well, we have time to look at Hawthorne. Um, Bob, would you do your audio description, please, and tell us what we're looking at in this photograph? Well, it is a, a hawthorn tree, um, but a particularly special one. Well, they're all special hawthorn trees in the Yorkshire Dales. Um, <laughs> this is taken on the road which runs over from Malham to Arncliffe, if anyone knows it. Um, it's a very wild, remote road, um, very narrow, little traffic, very steep. Um, and there's a valley down one side called Cowdale. Um, and I often stop there because um, it's quite a steep hill and it's useful to have a stop. And uh, I leave my bike and just go for a wander with the camera. And this one hawthorn tree just sort of comes out of the side of the valley on its own. And they've always symbolised strength and resilience to me. Um, and I've always had a thing for solitary trees. There's something about a tree standing on its own. 
and this was one of my favourite photographs. I don't think Emma knew that before she chanced upon it and decided that was the one to write a poem about. Oh. <laughs> and I think the, the angle of the slope that the tree is growing out of is... It's quite improbable. It's, yeah. it, it just, you know, this tree is, mm. is holding on for dear life. Mm. And, um, yeah, that just this adds to the power of the image. Yes, I love this photograph. And I think, actually, we'd been walking in Swaledale quite recently when I wrote this. Yes, and so yeah. we'd seen quite a lot of these solitary trees. And I love hawthorns. I think they are a, a great symbol of uh, resilience. Hawthorn. I'm whitethorn, quickthorn, fairy tree, may, foot-rooted in the limestone grikes I grow where others weaken in the wind-blast blow. My coat is bark-knot-weave of brown and grey. I dance with gales, embrace the falling snow while bedrock keeps me anchored deep below. When I wear my bud-burst leaves, it's spring, I thrive and swell with blossoms sweet and white as song-stretched days are drenched in summer light. My visitors are hundreds on the wing. My thorn-sharp arms protect my modest height, shelter nesting birds from hawk or kite. In winter, my stark branches stroke the sky. I offer ruby haws to those that fly. My lone thorn seeds are spread and multiply. Thank you. Is that a particular form that I'm not identifying? <laughs> I, I tried to, I thought, well, this is ABB, ABB, CD. <laughs> no, no. Yes, I, it just I, presented itself to you? I'd like to think I invented it. I'm sure somebody else has done it, but... Um, I do like writing rhyming poems sometimes, and I don't know where this came from in terms of the rhyme scheme. Well, it but it just um, works. It, it, I enjoyed doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it is so musical. I think there's a there's a lot of Gerard Manley Hopkins in this, and and your use of words like foot rooted and song stretched. You know, it's it's very musical. Mm. Um, <sighs> I'm just thinking, you name different names for this tree, and you said May. Now, when I first came to Yorkshire, I heard this expression, cast not a clout till... Now, this is the debate. Is it the May is out or May is out? And I've heard both interpretations. I've heard cast not a clout till the month of May is over or cast not a clout till the buds are on the May tree, and I think that's the correct. And one. I'm not absolutely sure. Well, we, we're either. not from around here, so no. we, well, that's right. we're off the hook. But <laughs> but I did actually do quite a lot of research about hawthorns mm -hmm. and all the myths and the number, huge number of species of birds and insects that a hawthorn can support. Oh. And I thought that was fascinating. So my visitors are hundreds on the wing is yes. because there are masses of insects and birds that actually thrive on the bark and the sap and the leaves and the haws. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. And what about the myth mythological side of the hawthorn? What sort of... 
Well, yes, the fairy tree. Of course, now, put on the spot, I can't remember any right. of the mythology. <laughs> well, but, we'll uh, all go rushing back to Google. When so we, sorry about that. <laughs> sorry. I mean to throw you a question at, at a left field. Um, well, this has just given us a very, very brief dip into what is an absolutely stunning book. Emma, where can people buy a copy of this? Well, they we hope they, the bookshops will will stock it, but um, Fair Acre Press is the publishers. So mm -hmm. if you go on their website, you can order it um, from Fair Acre Press. That's great. I think I've got Christmas sorted. Um, we're going to finish with a piece of music that has been selected, I think, by you, Bob. Um, yes. But it's it's performed by someone that you have a photograph of in the book. Indeed, it? It, se yeah. it seemed to be appropriate to play some of um, Sam Brown's music at the end here. Okay. Um, I mean, it's an example of serendipity um, and how these um, combinations have come together. Mm -hmm. um, the Leeds Library is where Emma and I met and where the project first started. Um, and it is quite amusing that in the reading room, the supposedly quiet room yes. with the Leeds Library. In the summer, when the windows are open, yes. it's very noisy because of the buskers outside. Mm. And sometimes the busking can be a relatively annoyingly low standard. Sometimes, though, it can be very good. Um, anyway, I caught Sam not far from Commercial Street um, on the way to the Leeds Library one morning. And her, her violin was amazing. Um, she had a beatbox and she put down tracks and then she played over those tracks and I was absolutely mesmerised. And I just stood watching for a quarter of an hour um, before giving her some money, of course. Uh, but it was like having my own personal concert. And then when Emma turned up later, I had to drag Emma along to listen to her too. Um, anyway, I took, I took um, Sam's photograph, which appeared in this book, because mm -hmm. um, Emma really wanted to try and describe the music in words. Well, um, let's, let's hear that uh, poem yeah. then. <laughs> Busker. She pulls the bow across the strings and resonates. The sound is deep within her body, heart and gut in harmony with notes that float along the street, sustained and clear. The shoppers hear a thread of sound grow and widen into chords. They turn and catch a snapshot glance of beautiful her poise and skill, the flow of music out of wood. Thank you. Mm. Well, thank you both for coming and for producing this beautiful book. And now we're going to hear Sam Brown. Sam Brown, yeah. And this is called The Alchemist. <laughs>
So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM and I'm talking to Pamela Crow, the poet, again, and we've talked recently. We have and I'm back. I'm back, Peter, to talk about a new project I'm involved in. Well, tell us about it. It sounds really interesting. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on. So uh, it's called The 23 Press and it's a project that has been commissioned by Leeds 2023 who are uh, commissioning lots of amazing art activity, cultural activity, I should say, over the city. I know you're involved in a Leeds 2023 project, aren't you? Mm. Um, And so, yeah, what Leeds 2023 did is they put a call out to artists across the city and they said, um, uh, approach us with an idea for a community art project you could run. So I am one of over 20 artists working across the city of Leeds, um, facilitating an art project and as I'm based in LS6 that's where this project is taking place so it's called 23 Press and it's a uh, community publishing platform it's uh, the idea is that we're setting up a small press to publish books and audio work and exhibition work that amplifies and reflects many different voices in our community well, I'm holding a, yeah, sort of, it's like a bookmark, actually. It with Yeah, it is a bookmark. <laughs> with 23 press on it, ideas needed. So, yeah, so what's what's behind this idea of, of forming a community press? I mean, is, is that because there is a lack of sort of such presses around in the area, or, or how did it begin? It began, I suppose, first and foremost, from just a, a personal curiosity I had about thinking, how do books get made? And... You know, that's partly because I love books and I love reading. And when I go into bookshops and libraries, um, you know, the ob- the book as an object to me is a very beautiful thing. I know we, we've spoken about that before. And, um, you know, as a, as a writer and someone doing poetry, I've started to learn over the last few years, and I know you're a published poet, about how you might get your book into print and about how you, that's about um, knowing other poets, knowing other writers, Maybe maybe you just have a friend that works in publishing and you get kind of some insight into that process. Yeah, yeah publishing always seemed to me something that um, I wasn't really sure how you got into it. I wasn't really sure how you could end up being a publisher. Um, and so I started to learn about how that how that might work. And that was through talking to other people that run small presses and realising that often it, like many things, is just about starting out on that journey and discovering how to do all the different bits. So the 23 Press is an opportunity um, for community members to get involved and really learn about all the different aspects involved in publishing, such as producing call-outs or um, making editorial decisions, making really creative decisions about um, typesetting, fonts, layouts, covers, titles. So at the heart, it is a really creative uh, project. And to kind of ensure that it's a project that reflects as many people really in our community and working with three different groups um, so I'm working on a project with the School of Languages, Cultures and Societies at the University of Leeds, and that's an audio work we're going to be collaboratively making. And I'm also working with a group of adults who meet every Tuesday at the Cardigan Centre, and we are exploring um, different walking routes from the Cardigan Centre and back, and uh, creating a book of walks and maps and 
um, illustrations that we're creating. And then the third project, which is um, related to the bookmark you're holding, is a project that I'm doing with a group of people who meet once a week on Thursdays at Rainbow Junction at All Hallows Church. Mm. And we are uh, exploring how to create um, an artist book, I would say. So a, a book that kind of sits not just within publishing, literature, but also within the visual arts. And and the bookmarks we've made are uh, being distributed across the whole city of Leeds. Um, so um, I encourage people to pick one up if they see them. They're printed in some quite snazzy colours by the amazing Footprint Workers Co-op. Mm. And um, the call-out is asking people across the city to have a think about a question, which is, if you could print a book, what would it be about? And then we would love people to go on our website, which is 23press.org forward slash ideas, and uh, fill in the online form there and tell us about uh, what book you would print if you could. If you could think of any book in the world, what would it be about? Um, And then we're going to collect all those ideas and we're going to put them in a book. So it's going to be a book of book ideas. Great stuff. And the, uh, yeah, so the deadline is 20th of March. That's probably in a, well, that's, that's just under three weeks. So you've got time, well, from, from when I'm talking to you, by the time this is broadcast, it might be a bit less. But yeah, so not long. So get your get your ideas out there. It's a great idea, Pamela. Great idea. Thank you. And we want to encourage as many people as possible to submit an idea. So there are different ways to do it. You could um, type your idea on the form. We've asked for the ideas to be about 150 words in total, mm. um, just to make sure that um, people, you know, you might have an essay you want to submit, but it's the idea we want, the idea, not the manuscript. Um, you can also send us a diagram or a doodle or a drawing. Mm. If it's in black and white, then we could um, that could potentially be printed in the book. And there's also an opportunity to um, submit your idea as a as an audio recording. So you can record your idea, we'll then transcribe it, and then that could go in the book. So yeah, we're asking people to share all their ideas with us. So is there, you, this is a book of ideas, but is there an intention to actually publish any of the ideas, as it were? Well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, what we're hoping is that we'll gather together these ideas, and, and some of them may be quite similar, so we might end up, um, you know, kind of... Um, presenting an idea in our book but that it represents you know multiple voices um and then the book will very much be a standalone book but we are excited to see what ideas come in um with a view to in the future exploring some of them potentially um but it's you know this is at the moment a volunteer opportunity it's an unpaid opportunity to be part of a a free publication that we'll be distributing that really is a yeah celebration of ideas and creativity so, thanks very much, Pamela Crow. Yeah, do get onto that. Looks really interesting. Uh, you're listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM, and that's it for this uh, week. You can listen to everything, all 170 plus episodes of Love the Words on our website, www.chapelfm.co.uk. I've said that so many times, but today, not. Um, So that's all for this week and uh, see you next. Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM.